www.healthyrounds.com. This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning for our 55th consecutive program dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. As we emerge from the pandemic, it's time to get back to our lives. And those lives may be a little bit different. But nevertheless, we need to be aware of dangers from viral epidemics and pandemics. This pandemic's not over. You've all been hearing about the Delta variant. This is the variant of the COVID, vac- COVID virus. It's called B1617. And this variant we believe emerged from a combination of the vaccine of the of the infestation of the infection in India and as a result it has become a much more transmissible virus we are going to see more and more cases here it is 90 it makes up 90% of the cases in britain at the current time So with that, we are going to see it. We have the good fortune of vaccines that prevent this and prevent us from becoming gravely ill. So I once again urge people who have not gotten vaccinated that it's time to do it now because it will be here in the late summer and fall as those cases rise. I've been looking forward to today's program. Uh, My guest in in a short while is going to be Ms. Leah Moon. Ms. Moon is a founding board member, the founding board member, of the Autism Families Connecticut. This is a great group. They've been on the program before. Um, But a lot of people always ask me about autism. And they say, oh, are we seeing more of it now? Um, Where is this all coming from? Is it coming from our water? Was it coming from vaccines? It's always been here. We've always had people who fit the profile of being on the autism spectrum. The problem is we never had gifted teachers and parents who knew how to unlock the talents and gifts of people on the spectrum. And that's part of what they do at Autism Families. I work with a lot of people who have autism and are on the spectrum. And I'm not talking about patients. I'm talking about gifted scientists, physicians, who clearly admit that they were somewhere on the spectrum. But if if not for people to recognize that they had a different style of learning that they would never have been able to move forward with their careers. So that's really what I believe Autism Families is about. So it's great to, it will be great to chat with her a little bit later on. 
In the second half of the program, we're going to chat with my daughter, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa. She was just featured on the front page uh, last Sunday of the Hartford Current talking about telemedicine and how it has changed her practice and the way we do things in medicine as a result of the pandemic. And Governor Lamont has recently extended insurance coverage for these services. Just think about it. I mean, there are so many people where it is difficult to get to a doctor's office. And you have to get there. I mean, you have to see a doctor to get your prescriptions refilled, to touch base. So just the idea that people don't have to now arrange a lot of transportation um, and, and can do this from home is tremendous. So we're going to chat with her in the, in the second half of the program. As always, we want to look at the scoreboard in our battle with the COVID-19 virus. Uh, sadly, U.S. death rates in the past week have gone over 600,000. We have over 601,000 dead Americans as a result of this virus. Our positivity here in Connecticut, we have the good fortune of it continuing to drop. It's at 0.45%, which is tremendous. 66% of all residents in Connecticut are vaccinated, and 75% of those 12 and older. So really the 75% figure is what we're shooting for in terms of people age 12 and older who are vaccinated. But when we look at our neighbors to the north, Vermont already has 80% of their population fully or partially vaccinated. We've fallen to fourth. Vermont, Massachusetts, and Hawaii are ahead of us. We need to do a better job. I don't know what that is. I mean, when you tell people you can get a vaccine and be safe or not get a vaccine and potentially die or have long-term effects that are going to affect the rest of your life, I don't know what other argument. I don't know why you need to put people in a lottery or pay them money or offer them a drink or a meal when those are the stakes. One of the other things we've heard a lot about here this week are healthcare workers in Houston, Texas. At Houston Methodist Hospital, a group of healthcare workers sued the hospital because they refused to be vaccinated. Now, here's the rule. The rule is you absolutely have a right to not receive a vaccination. But you cannot endanger the lives of others, especially those who are trusting you for their care, to exercise that right. It's pretty basic, and the courts have said it's it's basic. So... If because we we've forgotten about the people who can't be vaccinated, especially in a hospital. So many people are on chemotherapy, getting radiation therapy. There are children in these hospitals who are not eligible yet for vaccination. So to have someone around them who could be carrying the virus and spread it to them, I, I think is criminal. Forget about rights. You, of course you have rights, but you have rights to do something else to earn a living. You can't put other people in danger. 
And that's that's pretty basic. So I, I am glad the courts upheld that. I am hoping that our local institutions also impart that to get people, however few there may be, um, to get vaccinated. We know these vaccines are safe, they're effective, and they protect our community. The other topic I wanted to bring up was one of the things we do in medicine, one of the things we do in science, I guess we do it in everything, I guess we do it in our lives, is when something goes wrong or right to some degree, we try to think back and say, okay, what did we do wrong or what did we do right to have this outcome? We do an analysis. I think we all do it in our own minds. We do it with everything. I don't know. If you're playing golf or playing a sport, you want to go back and think, okay, what did I do right in that situation that I could do again? And the way we do that in medicine is we convene a group of scientists with expertise in the field in question to go over that. So it seems only natural that after a pandemic such as the COVID-19 pandemic, we would convene such a panel. I hate to use the word commission because it's gotten such a bad rap right now with what happened on January 6th, and I'm not even going to go into that. But as far as the COVID-19 pandemic, it's clear that we need to review what we did right and what we did wrong. It needs to be a non-political path. We can't trust the Congress to do this. I would even say we wouldn't even use any government people to do this. There are plenty of independent thinking scientists out there, especially in the field of public health, who need to convene somehow, somewhere, quickly to figure out what we need to do going forward, because these things will happen again. And for us not to be ready is the biggest mistake. So I don't want people digging in their heels and uh, we don't want commissions. It'll be the Dems and the Republicans. It's got nothing to do with it. We need to review what we did right and what we did wrong. And I can tell you now that probably the biggest thing that we need to look at is the I versus we approach to this, the social situations. Guess what? In the middle of a pandemic, it's not good to be breathing on each other in closed spaces. You don't need a scientist to tell you that. But we do need to go back and see what we need to do and what we need to change so that we are better able to avoid the catastrophe of 601 deaths in this country. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Ms. Leah Moon. She is a founding board president for Autism Families Connecticut. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce my next guest, who is Ms. Leah Moon. Uh, Ms. Moon is a founding board president of uh, Autism Families Connecticut. Uh, in addition to being a, a neighbor of mine, uh, she is also, uh, she leads a group of people who just do wonderful things for our community, um, and they have an exciting event uh, coming up. 
uh, a golf tournament. Uh, but I really wanted to get her on to talk about some of the great programs they do uh, for families of uh, children and teens with autism. Um, Leah, are you there? All right, while we're waiting to get her. Okay. Uh, while we're waiting to get her back, um, some of the things um, we talked a little bit about earlier in the show um, with uh, autism um, are, are so important, especially the socialization uh, uh, overall in uh, getting uh, children out there to socialize with each other. And, and socialization is so important uh, for all of us. Um, and uh, it's it's really uh, an effort to try and um, set up situations for them. Um, she dropped off the line, so we're getting her back on. Uh, but they are having a golf tournament on June 28th at the Golf Club of Avon uh, on uh, Country Club Road in Avon. But as I said, surrounding her, uh, surrounding themselves with uh, great people, among those a good friend of mine, uh, Gene Sheehan, um, who has done tremendous work uh, for me and uh, has uh, done great work in trying to get the uh, word out. Um, um, we talked a little bit about autism and the autism spectrum. So when we talk about the autism spectrum of disease, um, a lot of times when we deal with illness, there are a spectrum of illnesses. So there are things that fit into that particular group, and they vary in severity. So a lot of times when people think of autism, um, they think of the most extreme cases. I find the same when we deal with head injury. When people have head injuries, um, we think of people who are the most severely injured, uh, such as with penetrating head trauma and things such as that. So uh, autism is certainly a an entire spectrum of illnesses. Some are very mild. And as I said, um, it's important to really uh, get their learning abilities uh, involved. Um, with that, I'm hoping we can get her back on. Uh, Anthony, she's on. All right. Leah, welcome to the program much, Dr. Lessie, for having me back. Really appreciate it. Um, let's talk a little bit about autism families. Can you tell everyone what this is about? Absolutely. You know, our family's autism uh, journey, our very personal journey, began with my grandson when he was diagnosed with autism back in 2006. And when he approached that age of about five or six years old, his family was searching for community connection, for recreation, and fun. And it just wasn't out there for Jack and his particular needs and many of the other kids with autism in his classes. So our family members got together, we invited autism professionals to join us, and we formed Autism Families Connecticut in 2010. So tell everyone about a little bit about what you do at Autism Family, something about some of the programs um, that are involved, how you face the pandemic. Um, what do people expect when they become involved with Autism Families Connecticut? 
Well, of course, we were in person for the first 10 years of our programs. It was such a joy to have young people run into our building, participate in our programs, say hello to the therapists and the clinicians that we hired to run the programs. We started with young children, but then parents were calling saying, I need something for my three-year-old, and then I need something for my 14-year-old, and then I need something for my young adult. So now we serve all ages And our building was filled to the brim every weekend with parents, with siblings, with kids having a lot of fun, teens having teen nights, building programs. Well, then the pandemic hit, as you were saying earlier, and the pandemic is still not over. Um, It was a very sad day on March 12th when we we had to close in person, but we immediately switched over to virtual programs. We have an amazing team a program committee, teams of clinicians who started to learn all about Zoom and House Party and Facebook Live, and we were determined not to lose connection with our participants and with our families. So we ramped, we actually ramped up programs in the last year and a half. So what are some of the programs uh, we're talking about, especially now that we're getting into summer and some of the summer programs that you have planned? Well, you know, again, as you said earlier, the pandemic's not quite over. So we are still working on our grant, on our opening plans. We've got many exciting things, but one of the things that we learned, Dr. Lessie, during the, the, the year of being virtual is that we actually have some participants who prefer the comfort of their homes to sit and, and, you know, participate in our programs on their computers, but we also have the group that want to get back in person and socialize. So we're looking at how we can offer a mix of those programs. We're looking at some summer uh, meetups, an ice cream social, a beach day to ease back into it. And hopefully, if if things are good in the fall, we will be um, back in person with our programs. Uh, We have programs called Playing on the Spectrum for for Younger Children. We have immensely popular Friday night teen socials, young adult meetings. As a matter of fact, our young adults used to meet once a month. Now they're meeting every Friday night because a lot of times the young adults who had work programs, they lost those during the pandemic. Our young people lost school. They lost time in their therapies. Uh, so we're trying to connect with, with all of them and bring them their fun and their connection on the weekends. Leah, in, in our closing minutes, can you tell people a little bit about the event you have coming up and how um, we can support this great project and your programs here in Connecticut? Well, thank you. And again, you know, I'd like to mention that, yes, we're based in Connecticut. Um, our, our programs, of course, are, take place in our home in Newington. But while we've been virtual, we've had people from all over. Uh, please go to our website, Autism Families CT. You can learn about the golf tournament that we have coming up in another, in another week. Uh, people are still able to attend the, uh, it's very successful, but they're able to attend the dinner. And um, we'll have Wayne Carini there with the car, his original car that he brings uh, from the Rain Man movie. And people can come over to the golf club of Avon and have their photo taken. But go to AutismFamiliesCT.org 
or go to our Facebook page. There are so many programs living there. You know, people in your audience know someone with autism. If they don't have it in their own family, let them know about our programs. There are there are there's a chess club online. There are cooking and crafts and everything is free and easily accessible online right now. Leah, thank you. Uh, thank you for your time today, and more importantly, thank you for everything you do to help our community. Uh, we certainly appreciate for, it. Thanks for having me today. Really appreciate it. Sorry for the rocky start. <laughs> That's okay. Um, with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back to speak with Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa about telemedicine. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Welcome back to Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome my guest in this half of the program, who is my daughter, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa. Dr. Alessi LaRosa is the director of the sports neurology program at Hartford HealthCare and was recently featured on the front page of the Hartford Current last week with a discussion regarding the continued use of telemedicine. As many people who regularly listen to this program know that I have been a strong advocate for telemedicine and its usefulness in practice. And it has become much more prominent during the COVID pandemic that we need to have access to our patients Uh, especially elderly patients who can't consistently come to the office. Um, We have used this uh, for a long period of time with evaluating athletes who may be on the road, and it's really reached a new level of usefulness. Um, So I thought it was worthwhile for us to have this conversation. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's talk a little bit about what you do in sports neurology and your program at Hartford HealthCare, specifically the types of patients you see, and what is the setup there? So my practice is at the Bone and Joint Institute with the Iron Neuroscience Institute at Hartford Hospital. Um, I uh, primarily see patients who have had either uh, sports-related concussions, sports-related injuries that are neurologic, um, and or basically that they are patients who need to perform highly and uh, may have a neurologic condition such as migraines or epilepsy. And we sort of manage those conditions uh, so that they can continue to perform highly. So one of the things... Um that I'm sure you face is the fact that when you start a patient on a medication, um, at first you want to have some fairly frequent follow-ups in order to judge whether there have been side effects or there have been uh, any uh, success with the medication. Are we moving in the right direction? Um, somebody, sometimes it's just an encumbrance to bring them to the office just to go through that when you can uh, get by with a brief exam. Has that been the case with sports neurology as well? Yes, I would definitely agree with that, that, uh, you know, our patients, sometimes we see them 
with an acute concussion, we'll see them twice in the first week, you know, quite frequently. Um, and really just to follow up and see how our first plan went, how do we need to course correct or what changes to make. Um, but it doesn't always warrant another examination, you know, where they physically need to be present. So uh, the telemedicine has worked great for that. Uh, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, having athletes with their trainers, um, again, maybe they're, uh, you know, not able to reach the office and they're on the road or whatever, uh, we're able to give them the same access and care. Um, so just for those who are not familiar with telemedicine, can you walk us through what a typical telemedicine visit would be? For example, how do patients contact you? Um, what is the technological background that's necessary to do this? Because let's face it, a lot of us are not that technically uh, savvy uh, when it comes to this. Right. So uh, really, um, the patients get uh, through Hartford Hospital, our visits are conducted through the patient portal, which is the MyChart Plus. Uh, so on the patient's device, they need to have that app as well as a Zoom app downloaded on their uh, device. And then their visit will be scheduled and uh, there will be a link through the uh, patient portal app that they really just click the link to their visit and that, that it takes them directly into our visit. Um, and then our front office will make sure the sound is working and the video is working and then I'll join the visit and, and conduct you know, their appointment. Um, and, you know, we typically just, again, try and get updates or, you know, get the backstory, any updates from the patient on the history. We can do a limited examination if there are things to sort of check, perhaps like neck range of motion or some walking, things like that. And uh, then we, you know, get our plan and um, basically wrap up from there and make a plan for when our next visit might be and if it would be in person or by telemedicine. Uh, how well has it been received from patients? And I'm talking about older patients. Uh, I know athletes are always on their phone, so it's relatively easy for them. But uh, in older patients, you may be treating. Um, how well has it been received? I think it's been received fairly well. They have adapted quite well. Um, you know, a lot of times my staff is able to walk them through the process, you know, and really meet them where they are with their technology um, and, you know, troubleshoot certain issues so that, uh, you know, everything is smooth and ready to go and that it's not too frustrating. Um, but certainly there are some glitches and, you know, things that we, we, we still run into as everybody does, um, but it has gotten a lot easier. What are some of the common glitches? I know when I first started doing it, it was always something with respect to sound. Um, was always a difficult thing. Either it was on mute or not going through the computer sound on both ends. It wasn't just the patient's end uh, where it was a problem. Is that one of the more common glitches or what are some of the others? Yeah, I think mm, the sound is one thing. Uh, sometimes, you know, having the video, you know, uh, aimed at the person, sometimes they're kind of aimed at the ceiling or, you know, it may not be as easy to be on the camera. Um, and you know, the other thing is sometimes if they don't have a good internet connection, then that can be an, a problem where it might be cutting in and out and sort of glitchy in that regard. So, um, we try to make sure that, you know, we have good quality audio and video when we're doing these visits. When uh, patients sign on and you say their device, 
What types of devices can they use? Can they use a telephone? Does it have to be a computer or a certain type of computer? Yeah, it can be any smartphone with video capability, um, any tablet, uh, such as an iPad or something like that, um, and then or a laptop or desktop, anything with a webcam on it. So there's really quite a wide variety. Most people have at least one of those things or access to one of them. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to, to um, really access them that way. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back to talk a little bit about payment for these services. And will these services be continued uh, even after the pandemic? You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're chatting with my daughter, Dr. Stephanie Alessi LaRosa, who is director of the sports neurology program at Hartford Hospital. And we're chatting about telemedicine. Uh, Stephanie, before the break, uh, we were chatting a little bit about the usefulness of uh, telemedicine. And how have you found it most useful during the pandemic um, in terms of accessing patients? Uh, it really has has helped tremendously, um, certainly during a pandemic, which nobody anticipated um, it to last as long as it did. But, um, you know, even in terms of snowstorms, I mean, we've really been able to use it, you know, through all four seasons here in Connecticut where, you know, weather may be unpredictable and we are able to really pivot and still maintain that contact with patients where they don't need to cancel their visit and you know some some patients conditions are very time sensitive and they really need help when they need it and uh you know i know that that's been true even with urgent cares lately that that's really tr grown tremendously in terms of their access to patients and the ability to maintain um treatment for for those patients through something such as catastrophic as this has been now we all know that Telemedicine is not a substitute for a hands-on physical examination. And, you know, I don't want people to get the misimpression. When I hear criticism about telemedicine, it's always that, well, you need to have a hands-on exam. And you certainly do at some point in some frequency. But um, clearly this is not, I think we all agree that this does not take the place of a doctor's visit or a new patient visit when you're first establishing a relationship with the patient. Would you agree? I definitely agree. You know, I do feel that it, it sometimes, especially with a new patient and trying to establish a rapport with a patient, that that was one, you know, difficulty, um, you know, with telemedicine is, you know, having body language and some of those things that, you know, as neurologists, we try to observe things and pick up on body language and, and such. And, you know, it was sort of limited over a screen, but, um, but you know, it, it really does have its role in uh, all treatment and, and all care, I would think. Um, but I definitely agree that there really should be some examination and a thorough examination at some point in their uh, treatment course, you know, when, when you feel necessary. Stephanie, one of the things that's been debated is payment for these services. And obviously, during the pandemic, um, the federal government indicated that Medicare would reimburse physicians. Before the pandemic, 
It really was a rarity that people paid for telemedicine visits. And, uh, you know, we probably mostly did it with athletic organizations and teams that were paying the bill. But now we're faced with the pandemic is over and will they continue payment? And I understand in Connecticut, uh, you know, the governor has, uh, Governor Lamont has extended payment for that. So where are we at right now with payment for the services so that patients don't get a bill and insurance coverage? Right. So it, it you know, certainly was covered for a very long time without any question, um, probably until sometime, uh, you know, in the last few months, really, since April, there were discussions of, well, when does this run out and does it run out and whatever. So as those discussions happened, it seems like um, the insurance companies and especially Governor Lamont has advocated that, you know, this service should continue. Um, not just for COVID purposes, but I think we, we are really lobbying uh, within physicians' organizations for it to continue um, post-pandemic. Um, and so uh, I think uh, I know that a lot of the insurances have extended um, and, you know, and to be determined, some of them, some of them, you know, are maybe putting a new date and just kind of revisiting it in another month or two. But, um, but definitely it has been extended. Certainly workers' compensation types of visits and, you know, auto and things like that related visits um, have been paid, uh, you know, I believe fully or reimbursed for that. Um, so it's, it seems to be coming around and people have really found value in it. Stephanie, what's the one thing you'd like people to know about telemedicine um, in closing today's program? Um, what is kind of the take-home message for patients? I think as a physician practicing and using telemedicine, it has helped me reach my patients um, in circumstances that they would not have been reached. And it's sort of like doing a house call um, though I was not a physician back when people did house calls, this is sort of, I think, the uh, new age version of that where we're able to go into people's homes and really meet them where they are, um, you know, and, and extend the accessibility of healthcare to the, you know, less privileged in some ways or people who don't have transportation or don't have a means of getting around um, by mobility. So I do think that that's been tremendous. And I think it took a pandemic for a lot of people to realize that in the healthcare system. But um, I do think it's going to be here to stay. Well, as someone who did do house calls, I will say that was a great analogy, although uh, you've made me feel somewhat ancient um, from that standpoint. Stephanie, thank you. Thanks for uh, taking time um, to spend time with us today. And thanks for everything you and your staff do at Hartford Hospital. Thank you for having me. I want to thank our studio producer, Anthony Dorenzo, has been on the board for us here today. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week, we're going to continue with our discussions as we evolve and start coming out of the pandemic. But let's not move too fast because we're still trying to deal with this Delta variant. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. 
Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.